podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Fortsanopoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast about Tanopoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I have a quick two-part episode for you today. In part one, we'll cover the latest news around Napoli, including some changes to the backroom staff, a couple of interviews, and some interesting developments in the transfer market. And in part two, I'll give you my thoughts on Insigne and Di Lorenzo's play in the quarterfinals of the Euros, David Ospina's play in the quarterfinals of the Copa America, and Chucky Lozano's play in a pre-Gold Cup friendly against Nigeria. So let's start with the latest news. Corriere dello Sport are reporting on what they call a silent revolution taking place at Napoli. A few episodes ago, we talked about changes happening within management. Athletic trainer Francesco Sinati rejoined the club, and sports doctor Enrico D'Andrea departed after 16 years with the club. According to Corriere, the contract of administrative director Antonio Saracino expired and he too will depart the club. The paper is also reporting that former team manager Giuseppe Santoro has returned after nine years away from the club. He was the one that discovered Lorenzo Insigne and will take the place of current team manager Matteo Scala. Finally, Corriere is also reporting that there is friction between De Laurentiis and head of marketing Alessandro Formizano over the decision to self-produce our jerseys. Speaking of Insigne, De Laurentiis commented on Insigne's contract and whether he will renew this summer. He was speaking by phone at a forum on social redemption at the Yambo Shopping Center. De Laurentiis talked about a couple of subjects, including the film he's working on, on the history of Napoli. He also addressed the reopening of stadiums. He said he'll be going to Milano for an important meeting because 25% of stadiums are in really bad condition, and I'm paraphrasing there. He thinks stadiums should be opened up 100% to those who have been fully vaccinated and that that will be further motivation for those who chose not to be vaccinated. Finally, he commented on Lorenzo Insigne saying if Insigne tells him that he is tired of Napoli and wants to go around Europe, that will be his decision, certainly not the decision of the club. I tend to agree with Carlo Alvino that this is part of the posturing involved in contract negotiations and this is really De Laurentiis' way of putting the ball in Insigne's court. He obviously knows that Insigne does not want to leave Napoli. Walter Mazzari also spoke via telephone at that forum. He spoke about his four years at Napoli and how unforgettable they were. They achieved results that had not been achieved since the days of Maradona, including winning the Coppa Italia and playing against European giants in the Champions League. He talked about players like Lavezzi, Cavani, and Hamsik, who were new when he arrived and became champions. Finally, he talked about his departure. He said at that moment, it seemed like the right thing to do. But in hindsight, maybe he would have been better off staying. Either way, he's happy because Napoli could afford to buy players from Real Madrid, whereas they used to take players from clubs like Bologna and Parma. He said Napoli remains in his heart and maybe one day they will meet again. 
Speaking of renewals, Gianluca Di Marzio reported on Monday that Giovanni Di Lorenzo has reached an agreement to extend his contract for an additional year. The contract originally expired on June 30th, 2025, and will now expire in 2026. According to Di Marzio, this extension signals that Di Lorenzo will play an important role in Luciano Spalletti's squad. Di Lorenzo has had an excellent European Cup, though I don't think any of us doubted his role at the club even before the Euros. Nico Schira clarified that De Laurentiis has exercised his option to renew that was negotiated last August. Maurizio Sarri also gave an interview on Monday. The exclusive interview with Sport Italia was the first time he's spoken to the media in nearly a year. He covered a number of topics with transfer specialist Alfredo Pedula and Sport Italia director Michele Criscitiello. Among those topics was whether he was approached by Napoli to be the new manager. Sadi confirmed that Napoli did in fact reach out to him in January. He said he wasn't sure if he could be useful in the race, but Napoli only inquired about his availability. There wasn't really a negotiation. He added that he gave the same response as he gave to everyone who inquired about his availability, which was that he would be available in July. He also talked about a couple of his former players. He said Jose Callejon was the perfect player and constantly performed. On Insigne, he said he laughs because Insigne has been the strongest Italian in the last five years, but if he misses five in an entire championship, he is questioned, he is not always understood, and sometimes underestimated. Finally, Andres Mertens, he said it was a lucky move, but it turned out great. In other news, on Monday, Napoli posted on its official website that Dries Mertens underwent shoulder stabilization surgery in Belgium. The surgery was performed by Dr. De Klerk under the supervision of team Dr. Raffaele Canonico. Mertens will rest for 2-3 weeks before commencing rehabilitation. That means he will likely miss all of the summer retreat. He'll definitely miss Di Mauro, and I'm sure he'll miss more than just that. Who knows, he may not even be fit for the start of the Serie A campaign. Of course, we do not have the official schedule yet. As usual, Serie A is the only top European league that hasn't announced at least the dates of the matches that will be played. We know Ligue 1 will commence on the weekend of August 8th. The Premier League and the Bundesliga will commence a week later. La Liga will play its first round on August 15th. Serie A usually commences a week after the Premier League, which would be the weekend of August 21st. All we know about the schedule is that the format will be changed. Traditionally, the Girone di Ritorno, or the second round of fixtures, is an exact replica of the Girone di Andata, or the first round. That is going to change. Like the Premier League, La Liga, and Liga, the second round of fixtures will be shuffled. The only condition will be that two clubs cannot play each other within eight rounds. We also have some news on our Femenile team, which is nice. I haven't spoken about the Femenile in a while. First, we have updated our logo, but it's a fairly subtle change. For those who aren't familiar with the old logo, it was a crest with an uppercase N in the middle and a fishtail wrapped around the N. The word Napoli was above the N and the words Femenile Calcio were below the N. The crest was in blue and the text was in white. On our new logo, the word Calcio has been dropped, so it now simply says Napoli Femenile. The colors have also been inverted, so the crest is now white and the text is now blue. Finally, the fishtail wrapping around the end is just a little bit smaller. We also have a couple of player updates. Depi Chatsi Nicolau has been confirmed as our center forward for the upcoming season. She played a big role in our promotion to Serie A two seasons ago, scoring 10 goals. Unfortunately, she was only able to play five games last season after rupturing the ACL in her left knee. She had surgery to repair the rupture and is now fully recovered, so she will join the club on retreat at Rivizondoli. Another player that will remain with Napoli this season is Evi Popadinova. She joined last season from Danish club AAB. 
Popedinova scored four goals in 13 appearances, 11 of which were as a starter. The at Napoli Ladies Twitter account also reported a few more changes in personnel. I highly recommend following that account for all the latest Napoli Femenile news. Three new players have joined the club, goalkeeper Yolanda Aguila, who spent the last four seasons in goal for Spanish club Santa Teresa Club Deportivo Badajoz. Two players have come over from Rome, Slovenian defender Kaya Erdzen, who spent the last two seasons at Roma, and 18-year-old midfielder Emma Severini. Unfortunately, Elisabetta Oliviero will be leaving Napoli. She played a huge role in keeping us up last season. I'll round out the news with some transfer updates. I'm only going to talk about four players today, two who you've probably heard of by now and two you've probably never heard of. Brazilian journalist Wagner Frederick tweeted that it is becoming increasingly likely that Santos striker Caio Jorge will not extend with Santos. He also says that a source close to the player confirmed that Caio has already signed a pre-contract with Napoli. Another player that is seemingly getting closer to signing with Napoli is Chelsea left-back Emerson Palmieri. Gazzetto dello Sport are reporting that Emerson prefers Napoli over Milan and Roma, and he already has a verbal agreement with Luciano Spalletti, who coached him at Roma, of course. If an agreement is reached with the player, I'll be curious to see what salary he earns. Emerson currently makes $4.5 million per season at Chelsea. As we talked about last episode, De Laurentiis is looking to reduce the club's salary, so that could be a major hurdle. Another hurdle could be the purchase price. Various sources are saying that Emerson will cost at least 20 million euros. I think the price will be more than that for two reasons, both of which are the result of Leonardo Spinazzola rupturing his Achilles. First, Emerson will likely play for the Azzurri in place of Spinazzola at left back. If he plays well, and especially if he plays well with Insigne, Napoli will want Emerson more, and therefore his price will go up. The second reason is the Spinazzola injury means that there could be at least one more club interested in Emerson, namely Roma, and again, more competition means higher price. Of course, another position we need to address is the midfield. Even if we don't sell Fabian Ruiz, we still need to find a replacement for Tiamoy Bakayoko. In all likelihood, Lazio are going to sign Toma Basic, so the new relatively unknown name that we are now linked to is Austrian Florian Grilich. We got to see him firsthand in Italy's round of 16 match against Austria at the Euros. The 25-year-old currently plays for Hoffenheim in the German Bundesliga, but has only one year left on his contract. Grilich's agent Thomas Bohm provided this quote to Arianapoli.it. He said, I can confirm that I am in contact with a couple of Italian clubs for Florian. My client has always admired Italian football and in particular the Serie A championship. It would be ideal for his style of play. Do they like Napoli? It is a club with a great tradition with fantastic fans. Another midfielder we will be assessing is Michael Foloruncho. He's already owned by Napoli. We purchased him from Virtus Francavilla in 2019. He spent the 2019-20 campaign on loan at Bari in Serici where he hardly played. He got more playing time last season on loan with Regina in Serie B. He made 30 appearances with Regina scoring 6 goals and assisting 3 more. All nine of those goal contributions came during an incredible 10-game run of form. Folaruncho is one of many players that Spalletti will assess at Di Maro, which commences on July 15th. According to Corriere dello Sport, if Spalletti likes him, he could earn a position in the squad. Otherwise, he could return to Regina, but he is also being followed by Lecce and Cremonese. So that will do for the news. In part 2, we'll recap how our players performed on international duty in the last week or so. Tra le 
talk about our players that were on international duty this week. We had four players in the squads for the Italy-Belgium match and three who featured. Of course, Alex Meret was the only player who did not make an appearance because our lead was so slim. Let's start with Giovanni Di Lorenzo, who started again at right back as we expected. Di Lorenzo had his hands full marking Jeremy Doku on the Belgium left wing. I think most would agree that Doku was Belgium's best player in this match. The 19-year-old has pace and strength and he's full of energy. Watching live, I thought this was a poor performance from Di Lorenzo, but when I watched the game again, I realized he actually played quite well, but made just a couple of costly mistakes. The obvious one, of course, was the penalty he conceded at the end of the first half. I know people were saying it was a shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder tackle or that it was a soft call. I disagree. First of all, this was not a shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder challenge. Doku got past Di Lorenzo. They didn't have an equal chance of getting to that ball, which is the definition of a 50-50 ball. Second, there is a clear shove to me. You see Di Lorenzo extend his arm into the small of Doku's back. Now, I assume people were calling it a soft penalty because Doku threw himself to the ground. Surely a player of his strength could have stayed up on his feet. But I mentioned this last episode, sometimes players don't get calls if they don't go to ground, even when there is a clear foul, so I don't blame him at all for going to ground. What's ironic is that Kevin De Bruyne made the exact same tackle on Jorginho in the second half, but in Napoli's end, it was ironic in more than one way. First, I didn't see too many Azzurri fans complaining about the foul being given there, and second, De Bruyne seemed completely baffled that that foul was called, but he obviously didn't take any issue with the penalty being awarded to Belgium. What I will say is this was one of those decisions where VAR is not going to overturn the call regardless of what the call was. We saw VAR did not take the penalty away, and if the penalty wasn't given, I don't think VAR would have overturned that call either, but who knows, I could be wrong about that. The other thing I will say is that this was a poor decision by Di Lorenzo. I don't blame him too much for finding himself in that situation because Doku is quick, but once Doku got past him, I don't think he needed to foul. I think Doku would have had to stretch to keep the ball in play, so Di Lorenzo would have had another opportunity to win the ball back. Now obviously that's easy for me to say watching a replay, it's incredibly difficult for a player to see that in the moment, but even if Doku kept the ball in play, we had plenty of white shirts back to defend the cross, so I still think Di Lorenzo made a poor decision there. Finally, I was pleasantly surprised that Di Lorenzo was not shown a yellow card there. To be clear, I don't think that was a yellow card offense, but watching Serie A, I've grown accustomed to seeing players cautioned after conceding a penalty. That's important because Di Lorenzo was already on a yellow card, so had he picked one up there, he would have been suspended for the semi-final against Spain. The other poor play Di Lorenzo made was around the hour mark when he made a run down the right wing and he tried to pick up Barella in the middle of the park. The pass was slightly out of reach and Belgium immediately countered. They ended up getting one of their best chances of the match on that play which was the one that Lukaku mishit and Spinazzola blocked with his backside on the line. 
Now, that's one of those plays by DiLorenzo where if it comes off, it's a great play. But if it doesn't, you can put your team in a lot of trouble as we saw. In fact, we saw Napoli get caught a few times this season, particularly early in the season where DiLorenzo got caught and we were punished. The difference between that play coming off and not coming off is really a matter of inches. In fact, about 10 minutes before that chance, Di Lorenzo made the exact same play but the outcome was far better. Belgium were pressing high and Di Lorenzo broke free with the exact same run down the right wing. On that occasion, he hit the pass to Barella and just like that, we went from being on the back foot to being on the front foot. In fact, we got a scoring opportunity on that play but Immobile wasn't able to control the Barella cross. That was just one of a number of solid plays Di Lorenzo made in this match, both in the attacking phase and the defensive phase. In attack, he got behind the Belgium back line on that Bonucci goal that was ruled out. Di Lorenzo was just a fraction too early on that play, though I think Chiellini was also offside on the original ball. On the Barella goal, it was Di Lorenzo who won the free kick to start the move. He and Barella also had the awareness to play the free kick quickly, which I think caught the Belgium back line a little bit off guard and eventually led to the first goal. Finally, he pressed high and forced Belgium to make errors, including one play where Doku played the ball out to touch. On the defensive side, other than those two plays that I mentioned, I thought he was quite solid. On a couple of occasions, he was well positioned at the back post to play the ball out with Belgium threatening. Finally, I thought he made a couple of important recoveries, including one play in the second half after Immobile conceded possession for the umpteenth time. And he made another in the 72nd minute where Doku tried to take him on again, but this time Di Lorenzo got in front of Doku and won the foul. And then with about 15 minutes to play, he made a really nice slide tackle on Kevin De Bruyne to break up the Belgium attack at the edge of the area. The last thing I want to talk about regarding Di Lorenzo is time wasting. He was one of the many Italian players to waste time in the final 15 minutes of the match. Di Lorenzo took a shoulder to the ribs and he stayed down for a little while. Now, I know pretty much anyone who's not Italian found this behavior very annoying, in fact so did I. I'd much rather they just hop back up to their feet and carry on playing. However, to say they were wasting time is not entirely accurate. We were supposed to play 5 minutes of stoppage time, but instead we played 7. Between Donnarumma and Di Lorenzo, we ended up playing 2 additional minutes of stoppage time, which was fair. Actually went back in time those two plays, Donnarumma was down for about a minute and a half and Di Lorenzo was down for half a minute. So they didn't actually waste much time, but they did disrupt Belgium's rhythm and they gave themselves a moment to catch their breath. Lorenzo Insigne earned the star of the match for his performance against Belgium and it's really hard to argue with that. As the commentators pointed out a couple of times, he seemed to be everywhere. Of course, he was instrumental in the attack, but he was also back there defending. He took most of the set pieces and he even got in the face of Thomas Vermeulen at one point. That was after Vermeulen fouled Verratti and wasn't happy about the decision. It was quite funny though because Vermeulen is a center back and Insigne isn't exactly a towering figure. Of course, Insigne's biggest contribution was the goal, which put us up 2-0 and ended up being the game winner. This was a vintage Insigne goal where he picked up the ball at about midfield, made a beautiful little cut to get past Tielemans, and then fired a perfect curler into the top corner. Toby Alderweireld should have stepped up on the ball, and Insigne made him pay for not doing so. There was a stark contrast between Insigne's performance in this match and in the Austria match against Austria, Insigne looked tired and it was almost like he was avoiding the play, he just couldn't get into the match. 
In this game, he looked more energetic, he seemed to be involved in just about everything good that we did, and he played with a lot of confidence. He was running at defenders, looking to take them on, just doing that was creating space for his teammates because he was dragging defenders with him. He played some gorgeous passes, the nicest was a perfectly weighted chip over the top to pick out Spinazzola's run in the second half. Unfortunately, Spinazzola wasn't able to connect properly on the volley. Once again, Insigne and Spinazzola showed the great chemistry that they have together. Unfortunately, we won't see that partnership again for the remainder of the tournament. I was absolutely gutted to see Spinazzola go down with that Achilles injury. He was our best player of the tournament so far. It was great to see how the players showed their support for him after the match, and I think that will be further motivation for them. Now, one person's loss is another person's opportunity. With Spinazzola out, Emerson Palmieri will get his chance. He and Insigne showed great chemistry together in the Nations League, so we'll see how that goes. It is another opportunity for Spalletti, Giuntoli, and De Laurentiis to see the two players together, because as we spoke about in Part 1, we are heavily linked to Emerson. Back to Insigne, he played many other really nice passes, including a couple of long balls and the cross on the goal that was disallowed in the first half. But it wasn't just the balls that he was playing to set up chances, it was also the quick one-touch passes he was playing with Verratti and Jorginho. Whenever we had a spell of possession, it seemed to be those three that were on the ball. Their movement off the ball and understanding of where each other are going to be is really impressive. I'm sure in Insigne's case, that's partly because he's played with each of those players in the past. He played with Verratti at Pescara, though that was a long time ago, and of course he played with Jorginho at Napoli. I thought Insigne's touch was on, in reality it's rarely off. Off the top of my head, I can't think of another player that takes the ball down so well with the outside of his boot. Besides the goal, Insigne had two other shots at goal as well. Both of them were curling efforts, one in the first half that wasn't too far off the target, and then a second in the second half that was dipping and bending towards the far post. Courtois made the save as you would have expected on that shot. Insigne was also making runs into dangerous areas. The one that most people pointed out was in the second half where Immobile ignored the run, cut into the middle, and conceded possession for the umpteenth time. Now, I know we were frustrated with Immobile's performance in this match, and rightfully so. It probably couldn't have gone any worse for him. Does that mean we should start Belotti against Spain? If it were up to me, no. I'd go right back to Immobile. The reason I even bring this point up is because Insigne had a really poor outing against Austria, probably his worst match of the tournament, and plenty of people were saying we needed to start Chiesa over Insigne. Thankfully, Mancini didn't listen to them because this was a masterclass performance from our Napolitano captain. So even though Immobile was poor against Belgium, I expect Mancini to give him an opportunity to make up for it against Spain. Insigne played 79 minutes and then was replaced by Domenico Berardi, with Chiesa moving over to the left and Berardi playing on the right. That change, along with Brian Cristante replacing Marco Berardi, really affected Italy's ability to maintain possession. I mentioned that Insigne, Berardi, and Jorginho were bossing possession and owning the midfield. When you remove two of those three players, you can expect to have less of the ball, and that's exactly what we saw in the final 15 minutes, compounded by the fact that Belgium needed to score. Moving on, Dries Mertens featured off the bench for Belgium. Many Napoli fans, myself included, were very nervous to see Mertens prepare to come on. He replaced Yuri Tielemans in the 69th minute and almost made an immediate impact. Just seconds after coming on, he picked up the ball behind the Italian midfield, ran at Bonucci and Chiellini, then played the ball out wide to another substitute in Nasser Shadley. Di Lorenzo got a touch on the cross, which popped up just out of the reach of Lukaku. That was the second of Belgium's two really good chances in the half, the other being the one that Spinazzola cleared off the line. 
Mertens definitely improved Belgium's attack after he came on, which was to be expected. He replaced Tielemans, who was more of a defensive midfielder. He seemed to be looking for Lukaku with his back to the goal at the top of the box. Fortunately for Italians, Napoli's Chiro wasn't able to make the difference. In the end, Italy held on for the win. That means Meret, Di Lorenzo, and Insigne will play against Spain in the semi-finals. That's because Spain beat Switzerland in penalty kicks in their quarterfinal. Curiously, Fabian Ruiz was not in Spain's squad at all. I couldn't find any explanations for why Fabian was left out, so I assume this was just a tactical decision from Luis Garcia. So we'll see if he makes it into the squad against Italy. For Italy, I fully expect Di Lorenzo and Insigne to start in that semi-final. So those are our players in the Euros. We also have one player in David Ospina representing Colombia in the Copa America. They played their quarterfinal match against Uruguay on Sunday. Ospina got his 112th cap surpassing Carlos Valderrama as the most capped Colombian of all time. This was a very entertaining nil-nil draw. Ospina worked hard but he wasn't terribly busy and what I mean by that is he was active on his line, he was coming out to challenge, he was shifting side to side and so on but he didn't have to make too many saves. That was largely because Colombia's backline was really excellent in this match. They were blocking shots and they won just about every ball that was played into the area. Ospina did have to make three saves, all three in the second half. The first was the most difficult. Cagliari's Nahit Hernandez played a cross into the area, but the cross ended up drifting on goal. Ospina came off his line expecting the cross to be in a dangerous area, but then when he saw the ball drifting towards the top corner of the goal, he had to retreat and he did really well to adjust and push that ball over the bar with his left hand. It looked like he got hurt on the play, he stayed down for a while, but just like we saw often at Napoli, he eventually got up and carried on. The other two saves were fairly routine. The second save was in the 57th minute. De Arisqueta played a lovely 1-2 with Cavani before trying to roll his shot past Ospina. De Arisqueta didn't get enough power on the shot though, and Ospina made the save you would expect him to make. The third save came in the dying minutes of normal time from a Uruguay corner kick. Colombia cleared the ball to the edge of the area where it was fired back in. The shot took a slight deflection on the way to goal but ended up straight at Ospina. He also made a couple of important interceptions in the second half, so Ospina was definitely busier in the second half of this match. As I said, the match finished nil-nil in normal time. That was Ospina's third clean sheet in five matches so far in the Copa America. What's really interesting about this year's Copa America is because of COVID, there is no extra time. If the game is tied after normal time, it goes straight to penalty kicks. That's what happened here, and Ospina made two saves to lead Colombia to the semifinals. First, he stopped Jose Jimenez on Uruguay's second shot. Ospina guessed correctly, but the shot was poorly taken as well. It had plenty of power, but not enough accuracy. Then Ospina stopped Matias Vigna on Uruguay's fourth shot. This was a fantastic save by Ospina. The ball was well hit, about waist high towards the right side of the goal. Ospina got across quickly and pushed the ball away with his right arm. With Colombia having scored all four of their shots, that save won the shootout for Colombia. They will play against Argentina in the semifinals on Tuesday, and you can bet that Ospina will be in the goal for that one. Finally, Chucky Lozano was in action for Mexico on Saturday. He played the full 90 minutes in an international friendly against Nigeria. If you're wondering why Lozano was playing in a friendly after playing a long season in Serie A, followed by the CONCACAF Nations League final, it's because this match was preparation for the upcoming Gold Cup, which commences this Saturday. 
Mexico won the match 4-0, but Lozano did not score. However, he did assist on the second goal, and he played a key role on Mexico's third. Lozano was played through a Nigerian goalkeeper, Stanley Bobo Noabali, had to come off his line to get there before Lozano did. Unfortunately, he played the ball straight to Hector Herrera, who fired into the empty goal. Judging from the highlights, Lozano seemed to be wreaking havoc on Mexico's left wing, and he nearly scored early in the second half. He blasted a shot on target from the top of the box, but Nwabali made an excellent save to keep the ball out. All in all, this was a solid performance from Lozano. So that is where we'll wrap it up. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5 or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. We're coming to the end of Season 2. I should have one more episode to wrap up the season, and then Season 3 will commence with the retreat at Di Mauro. But until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Sempre. Network.